Good morning, if you'll take out your Bibles and turn to the book of James. James chapter 4, we're only going to look at two verses today. We're in a series entitled, Developing a Faith That Works. And we said in order for faith to work, it's got to work for us first. And James gives us all kinds of practical, daily practical stuff to help that relationship with God and our faith come together. Now, it's interesting, in the last three weeks, um, you'd almost think we were dealing with different topics, but I think James is kind of dealing with the same topic. From chapter 3, verse 18, he says, How do you relate wisely to other people? James would say, sow seeds of peace. Be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Last week, we looked at how to avoid arguments. And James would say, humble yourself before God. And today's topic leads right into that, how to quit playing God. James would say, get right with other people. So seeds of peace, get right with God and get right with other people. Do you see how these all tied together? Our God is the God of peace, and he wants his kids to get along here on earth. Few things have the power to hurt our relationships, like words. Has anyone ever said anything about you? that was untrue, or maybe it was true, but it was hurtful. Have you ever said anything about somebody that was untrue or hurtful? Of course, we all have. Everybody does. From time to time, we like to play God. We're playing God every time we judge other people. Now, James puts it like this. Look up on the screen here. You don't have your Bibles open, your version may be a little different from this. But he says, brothers, he's talking to the family. Sisters, we're in the family. Do not slander one another. You mean they were slandering each other in the first century? Yep. Has much changed? Nope. Don't do it. Anyone who speaks against his brother, not just slanderous words, but anything, or judges him, speaks against the law. And judges it. There is only one lawgiver, and he's not you, and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Next slide. Why do we like to judge others? I'll tell you, there's several reasons. Number one, to excuse our own faults. Um, so when you, a mere man, pass judgment on to them and yet do the same thing, you, a mere man, you, a mere woman, we judge somebody else who's a lawbreaker, and we point a finger at you and you and you. How many are firing back at me? Three. See, if I'm going to judge you by the law, I've got to hold myself to the same standard. And my Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all guilty. Do you think you'll escape God's judgment? You know, I think, why do we like to judge others? 
I think, number one, because we think by pointing the finger at other people that it takes the heat off of us. But according to that verse right there, what does God just say? Wrong. You're all a bunch of lawbreakers. Now, I love you. I want to forgive you. But take it easy on one another, will you? Number two, it appeals to our pride. Watch this. Proverbs 26. Gossip. Oh, now, your version may say a little different than this. I'm using the good news version on this passage. The good news doesn't always get it right. I, I as a general rule, use the NIV. But sometimes the good news version really nails it. Watch what he says here. Gossip is so tasty. How we love to swallow it. Hey, did you hear about... Oh, we just eat it up, don't we? See, there are really two degrees of gossip. First degree gossip. Here's how first degree gossip goes. First degree gossip goes something like this. Did you hear about that old rascal Joe and do you know what he's up to? What do we normally do? No! What's Joe up to? Boy, the old radar's up, the antenna's up. James saying, don't do that. I, I know there's that side to us that wants to hear the scoop. We want to hear the gospel because it's so tasty. That's first degree gossip. And then we go to tell about Joe. Joe, you don't have Joe's permission. Joe doesn't want you talking about him, but you go ahead and do it. It's so tasty. Now, that's first degree gossip. Most Christians don't do first degree gossip. We're more into second degree gossip. We'll... Um, We'll go to our prayer meeting, we're a small group, and now it's prayer time, and someone will say something like, you know, this is for prayer purposes only, but so you can better help me pray for Jack and Jill. I want to let you in on something. Jack and Jill? What's wrong with Jack and Jill? Jack and Jill have the perfect marriage. They're the perfect couple. Everything's right with Jack and Why do we need to pray for Jack and Jill? Well, you don't, you don't know this, but they're having some marital problems. They are. Ooh, see how we love, see how we eat it up? It's tasty. Someone who is wise in that prayer group should say, Time out. Did Jack and Jill give you permission to bring this up in the prayer group? Did Jack and Jill ask you to bring this up in the prayer group? Well, no, but that's besides the point. They need our prayer. Oh, someone said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They need. When did it start? Well, it all started when their teenage son got on drugs. He's on drugs! You see how this thing starts developing? And how this thing starts to degenerate? If you're not careful, your prayer chain can turn into a gossip grapevine. And that's not what God wants to happen. So why do we judge? We like to judge because it takes the heat off us, and there's this prideful side of us that kind of likes it. But the reason we do it is multifold. Number one, it, it's unchristian. This is why we shouldn't do it. it it's just unchristian. Look how many times verse 11 uses the word brother. Brother, brother, brother. Brother's brother, brother. Three times. Why? Because we're all in the family, family, family. And if I'm gossiping about you and you're gossiping about me, and we're all in the same family, it's called the Christian family. We're Christians going to spend eternity in heaven with one another. If you've got to be spending eternity with me, 
then we shouldn't be talking about me and I shouldn't be talking about you. We're in the family together. If anyone speaks against his brother or judges his brother, you're doing wrong. We should not be doing that. Um, I should never rejoice when a brother falls. Slander, did you know the word slander and Satan or the devil kind of comes from the same Greek word? The devil in Scripture is described as the accuser, there's the word, of who? The brethren. He's our accuser. He's the one pointing the finger. We should not be pointing the finger at each other. We, we're, we're in the same boat. All of sin. We're in that boat, all right? But Satan knows you're a sinner, and Satan can't stand the fact that you're getting away with it, so he keeps accusing and pointing the finger at you. Although God ignores him because of the blood of the cross, other people don't ignore him. My Bible never says, confess your neighbor's fault one to another. It says, confess your faults one to another. And we've all got them. And whenever you confess your neighbor's fault, you're playing the role of the devil. You are accusing someone else. The devil's number one activity is putting people down. And we're never more like Satan than when we are accusing the brethren and putting them down. He says, don't slander. Don't do the devil's work for him. And the word slander, look on the screen. This is a definition I got from, forget who I got it from. I got it from the internet. But I've always believed this. That's what preachers do. You know, when you forget who to give credit to, you know, you say, well, so-and-so used to say, and then you quote him. And then you say, I read somewhere, and then you say, I've always believed. I've always believed slander meant something like this. To say something that is untrue about someone to damage their reputation. But I think James takes it a bit further than that. I think James is talking about anything you say about someone, whether it's true or untrue, if it's intended to hurt. Because he says, don't slander, but then he says, don't speak against. You see how the two are coming together here? He's talking a little bit more than just slander. Even if it's true. If someone comes to you and says, you're fat, it may be true. But it's also hurtful. I know, I mean, with this healthy body, sometimes I gain a little bit of weight. You know what I'm saying. Even if it's true, Paul says in Ephesians 4, yes, speak the truth, but do it how? In love. And what does love do? Builds up. Love never tears down. So James, I think, has taken it a bit further than just slander. He, he takes it to the point of don't say anything if it might hurt. And then he puts it like this. It's unloving. In 11b, anyone, anyone who judges speaks against the law. You mean it's against the law for me to say you're fat, you're ugly, you're this, you're that? No, it's not against the law. I can do that. You can do that. I mean, I guess there are certain slanderous laws, but try proving it in court and get damages. Probably never happened. But in Jesus' day, there was no law against it. Or was there? 
You ever heard of the royal law? He says, anyone who judges speaks against the law. What law? Well, if you back up to chapter 2, verse 8, he says, if we really keep the royal law found where? In Scripture. You mean there's a law in this book, in Scripture, that forbids me from doing that? Oh, really? What does it say? Well, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. So if I don't want you slandering me, guess what? I better not be doing. I better not be slandering you. If I don't want you speaking evil of me, hurtful things of me, I better not be speaking evil or hurtful things of you. Are you getting this? Are you understanding what the Scriptures are saying? It's so simple, and yet sometimes it tends to go over our heads. Some of the simplest things we miss if you don't slow down in Scripture and figure out what the Bible is trying to say. But not only trying to say... James is one of those guys that's from the show me state. Show me your faith by what you do. You've got to put it into practice is the idea. Now, there's a third reason why I should not judge others, and that's found in verse 12, the next verse. It's unjustified. There is only one lawgiver. You mean there's only one, Bruce? Yeah, only one. Wow, I wonder who it is. Anyone here the lawgiver? No, no one hears the lawgiver? And there's only one judge? Anyone in here the judge? Anyone up there the lawgiver? Anyone up there the judge? There's only one, and if it's not me, and it's not you, that only leaves God. Did you know the word lawgiver... It's only used six times in the whole Old Testament. Every time it was used of God. You know how many times it's used in the New Testament? Just once. Where at? We just read it. Who's it referring to? God. Who's our judge? God. He's the lawgiver, and he's the judge. Well, when is it wrong to judge others? Well, first of all, when it blinds me to my own faults. When it blinds me, and that's a good terminology, because every single one of us has what they call blind spots. What's a blind spot? Uh, have you ever been driving down the, the road and you... Look in your rearview mirror, mirror, and you look at your side mirror, and you look over your shoulder, and you start to turn, and you hear a horn go, ah! and there was somebody there. That's a blind spot in your car. We've all got them. We've all been there. We've all done that. Guess what you have in common with your car? You got blind spots too. There are certain things you don't see in your own character. There are certain things you don't see in your own nature that you need help with that's why you need counselors that's why you need the word of god that's why you need the holy spirit to say god show me some of these areas of my life where i'm falling short and he will if you mean that prayer he'll point him out but be ready for it and be ready for the change it is a blind spot when it blinds me to my own faults now in matthew 7 uh, 3 and 5 
through, through 5, Jesus uh, gives an illustration. And in the illustration, he uses Hebrew humor. This is like one of the funniest things. Now to us in our day of time, our Gentile humor, we wouldn't get this. But if you were in the audience at the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus started saying these words, you'd crack up. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the blank in your own eye? <laughs> Everybody would be cracking up because Hebrew humor uh, loved over-exaggeration to emphasize a point, a hyperbole. They love hyperbole. And when Jesus said that, man, he was just like funny. They were rolling in the aisles. They were cracking up. And Jesus sometimes would use a little humor in his messages to hold people's attention. But then he'd nail them with the point. He sets them up. They start laughing. But then he says, how can you speak to your brother? Uh, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! He gets you laughing. And then nails you. Oh, you mean I got this big old beam in my eye too? It's not so funny, is it? It's funny when you got the beam in your eye trying to take a little tiny speck out of my eye. That cracked me up. And now I'm seeing it from a different point of view. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Does that make sense? Take the log jams out. Some people are just nitpickers, and they've got log jams. It's a blind spot. Number two, when is it wrong to judge others? When you draw conclusions based on outward appearance. He'll say this in John chapter 7 and verse 24. Stop judging by mere appearances. By appearance, and make a great, and make a right judgment. Um. I don't know where I read this either. But somebody said, we tend to make an impression, or get our first impressions when we meet someone for the very first time, we tend to make a judgment about that person within the first 15 seconds of our meeting them. Did you know that? And you know what most of it's based on? Appearance. Have you ever judged someone on first appearances? and been totally wrong once you got to know them. People do that about churches, too. I think they give us about 60 seconds. And you know when it's normally during the greeting time. If a guest comes to our church, this is just a little trivia, church growth studies to point this out, and they come to our church for the first time, if they're not greeted in the parking lot, if they're not greeted when they come in, if they're not greeted during the the greeting, (laughs) they're out of here. Well, you say, well, that sure is immature of them. Yeah, well, remember when you were first coming to Jesus, you weren't so mature either, right? See how important it is for us to reach out to people and not judge on appearances only? Well, he says individually that's the same thing. Stop judging by mere appearance and make a right judgment. Now, in the Old Testament, you will read a story about a prophet named Samuel. One of the, I guess, jobs you would say of a prophet, they were multifold, but one of them was to anoint kings, where they would take uh, oil, pour it over their heads, pronounce them king, and they would move on. Well, 
Saul had fallen out of favor with God. And God's going to anoint a new king. And he says, Samuel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over to Jesse's house. Jesse has some sons. And uh, now when you get there, be very, very careful not to judge by outward appearances. You see this in practical application? And when he got there, boy, his boys looked kingly. I mean, from the oldest right down, man, he's like, surely it's this one, surely it's this one, surely it's this one. Put his hand over him. God said, nope, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. And, and he gets to the last one, and he said, Jesse, you got any more boys? I told you to bring all your boys in. Well, there's one, but he's just the runt of the family. He's out tending sheep. Who are we talking about here, folks? David. But we're not going to sit down to eat until all your boys are here. And David shows up. Sure enough, he's the run of the family. Doesn't look kingly at this point, does he? Be a long time before he looks like a king. But God says, this is the one. He says, Samuel, there's a lesson here. Men look at outward appearance, but God looks on what? The heart. And what did David become known as? A man after God's own heart. Perfect man? No. Never has been, never will be. But do you have a heart for God? Absolutely. Don't look at outward appearance. And it's also wrong, number three, when you condemn somebody without getting all the facts. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. What that means, he was a part of the Jewish Supreme Court. He was a Pharisee. Jesus tried to reach out to the Pharisees. They wanted nothing to do with him, but there were a few that converted. It took a while. And chapter 3 comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, no man can do... He calls him rabbi. He doesn't call him Jesus. Rabbi, no man can do what you are doing unless God be with him because it's obvious you're doing miracles. And they're from God. So this Pharisee had an open heart, an open mind. And he left that day not born again, but he left that day a truth seeker. And whenever you have a gracious God and a seeking soul and a willing worker, people get saved. He wasn't saved that night, but you can see him moving in the right direction. By the time you get to John chapter 7, so we just left John 3, now we're in John 7. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was the one who was one of their number. What number? The Sanhedrin. How many is in the Sanhedrin? Seventy. One of seventy. And he was probably the leader. Because remember how Jesus addressed him in John chapter 3? You being the teacher of the Jews and you don't know these things? The, singular, and distinctive. He doesn't say you being a teacher. He was probably the leader of the group. One of their own number asked, Does our law... Condemn a man without hearing from him first? What did the 70 want to do? What did the Sanhedrin court want to do to Jesus? Arrest him and kill him. As a matter of fact, just before John uh, Nicodemus says these words, they had sent out guards to arrest Jesus. And Jesus was preaching and teaching to a group of people. And the guards thought, 
well, you know what, let's not make a big scene here, you know. Let's let the church service end, and then we'll go arrest Jesus. And so they we've got nothing better to do, so let's just listen to Jesus preach. And as they listened to Jesus preach, when the sermon was over, did they arrest him? No. And they went back to the Sanhedrin, and they said, where is he? And they said, well, you don't understand. Never a man so spake. They couldn't arrest him. They couldn't arrest him. They heard him speak, and they could not arrest him. But they wanted to arrest him, and they wanted him dead. And Nicodemus, their teacher, says, wait a second. He asks a rhetorical question. Does our law, that's Jewish law, condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They hadn't found out. They hadn't any interest. He just doesn't look kingly. He doesn't look like the Messiah they read about in the Old Testament, and they wanted nothing to do with him. They judged on what? Appearance. Appearance. And they also judged because they didn't hear all the facts. When you condemn a man without hearing all the facts, you're wrong even if you're right. Number four, when is it wrong to judge others? Well, when you judge on the basis of religious observance. Colossians 2.16 Paul had to deal with this quite a bit. Uh, people celebrated different days and new moons and Sabbath day. When's the right day to worship? Sunday, Saturday. And people still arguing about this kind of religious stuff. But he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you. See, we're talking about judgment today. By what you eat or what you drink or regard to your religion. See, you can't. Tell what a person's like. You can't tell a person's walk with God based on what you see them eating or what you see them drinking or how they worship. Case in point, last last Sunday evening we had our praise night barbecue here, right? Western theme. Great meal. Probably the best of the year for me anyway. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And there were two guys sat down at my table. One was had a big old plate of barbecued chicken. And the other guy had a big old plate of the you know, coleslaw and the salad and the veggies. And the guy with the chicken said, man, this chicken sure is good. Why didn't you get any chicken? And the guy with all the veggies says, well, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> and the guy with the barbecued chicken says, well, you don't know what you're missing. I, I thought only kooks were vegetarians. And the vegetarian says, well, I thought only kooks ate chicken. (laughs) And they start arguing whether it's right to eat meat or not eat meat. And finally, they got so heated, one just threw the whole table over, and those two brethren went at it right, left, punching each other out. Big old fight erupts like in the western scene. It was a western night, right? Boom, man. Guy's cowboy hat goes flying. You know I'm making this part up, right? (laughs) If you're listening on the internet, this is a joke, all right? This latter part's a joke, but I'm using hyperbole, Jewish humor, Hebrew humor, to emphasize a point. It would have been very, very unwise if if that really did happen. If these two brethren went at it over whether you should eat meat or whether you should eat vegetables only. You know why? Because the Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 14, that God accepts 
both. As long as you do with a clear conscience towards God, want to be a meat eater, meat's for the belly, belly's for the meat, Paul says, go for it. You want to be a vegetarian or a vegan or a gluten-free or whatever it is they have out there, just have at it. Go for it. Because God accepts both. Romans 14, 13. You read the whole book of Romans chapter 4. Not the whole book, but just read Romans 14 today and you'll see all this is in there. I'll just conclude with verse 13. Stop passing judgment. That's his conclusion on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. The principle is... You do whatever you have a clear conscience on doing, and then leave everybody else alone. But we want to nitpick, and we want to pick on everyone. We want, to li- we, we want you to be like me. How many of you on your computers use Word? Let me see your hands. How many of you use Word Perfect? There's two of us. God bless you. I see that hand. You ever have a Word person? come in and see you doing Word perfect and want to change you? Yep, everyone else is doing it. You're doing I like Word perfect. That's just, I, was, I was taught Word perfect. I like Word perfect. I like when I do This sermon outline right here was done in Word perfect. It works for me. Leave me alone. You got a good conscience toward Word? Go for it. I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. That's the, that's I got Bible on that. Number five, when is it wrong to judge others? When we judge other people's motives. This one here is huge. You know how we normally judge ourselves? By our motives. If something went wrong, but your motives are right, how do you judge yourself? I meant well. But you know how we normally judge other people? By their actions. We never look at their motives. Well, they did this and they did that. No, look at the mo. There's more to it than that. This is deep stuff here. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Why not? Wait until the Lord comes. Why? He, he, not you, you, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. We judge ourselves by our motives and others by their actions. And, and the Bible says only God knows your heart. Haven't you ever been misunderstood, read the wrong way? It, we all have. It's going to happen. Let me give you a true story. preacher by the name of David Roper. He's wrote a number of books. In this book, forget the title, but I remember the story. A young business executive worked for a firm or a corporation, I forget which at this time. Big firm, right? Single guy. His fellow executives wanted to play a joke on the new guy who was single. And evidently it was the custom of this particular firm at Thanksgiving time for the president to give turkeys to everybody that worked there. And uh, everyone waited patiently in line to get their turkeys, and these other executives thought, you know, let, let, let's pull one over on the, on the new guy. 
It's not going to hurt him. He doesn't have a family. He's single. Let's take one of the turkeys out of the wrap, keep the wrap, but make a paper mache turkey. And we'll just take the turkey neck out, put it in there, and wrap it up, and it'll look like a real turkey, and that's what we'll give him. And after the holiday's over, we'll, we'll laugh, man. We're going we're gonna to razz this guy and give him a hard time. Well, he patiently waited in line, and he got his paper mache turkey, thinking it was what? Real turkey. He hops on a streetcar. He's headed for home. And you know what he's thinking in his mind? What am I going to do with this turkey? I'm single. I don't even know how to cook a turkey. I don't have a family. What am I going to do with this thing? And about that time, a fella came and sat across from him. And he said, well, happy Thanksgiving. You look like you had a nice bird there. And he says, yeah, but I really don't know what to do with it. And he said, what, he said, what are you guys having tonight? He had a package in his hand. He says, well, I just went to the store and got a couple of pounds of hamburger meat. Uh, you see, I've been out of work for six months, kind of falling on some hard times. And um, this is all we're going to have for Thanksgiving dinner. Well, the youngest guy thinks, well, I don't need this turkey. You see where this is going, right? This is not going good. We're talking about motives here, right? I don't need this turkey. How about, I, I know hamburger. How about if I exchange my turkey for your hamburger and you and your family have a blessed Thanksgiving? Well, the man couldn't, overjoyed, couldn't believe his luck and how blessed he was. And he thanked the man. And the man got off the streetcar and went on his way. And well, the holiday is over. He goes back to work. And uh, his quote-unquote friends said, Hey, what do you think of your Thanksgiving turkey? And really thought they were going to, you know, expose the joke. And he said, well, he told him the story. Well, I didn't eat my turkey. I gave it to a man who was down and out and told him the whole thing. And they went, oh, no, we need to tell you something. We played a practical joke on you, and that wasn't a real turkey. What that man took home was made out of paper mache. Now, you know how bad he felt. As a matter of fact, he left work immediately and went up and down that area, that street, where for days looking for the man to try to explain and to make things right, but never did find the man. But from that man who was down and out's perspective, how do you think he saw that young executive? Intentionally, deliberately ripped me off. And of course, you know that wasn't the case. Motive 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 therefore judge nothing before the appointed time you may think you know when you don't know leave it to god it's all going to come out in the wash let him handle it well how do you break the habit of judging others quickly we're going to wrap this up three quick things Number one, remember, I will be judged by the same standards that I use to judge others. Uh, Matthew 7, do not judge others so that God will not judge you, for God will judge you in the same way you judge others. Is that the way that works, Bruce? Mm, That's the way that works. How do you read it? And he will apply to you the same rules you apply to others. Next, number two, remember that each of us is accountable 
to God. Now I know there's a sin, so it's I'm accountable to you and you're accountable to me. But ultimately, we're both accountable to who? Just one person, God. Every one of us then will have to give an account of himself to God. So then, let us stop judging one another. And then number three, we'll close with this. Remember how much God has been merciful to me. Look at this verse. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, we love to judge, but what's better than judgment? Mercy, mercy, mercy. Let's close with the story of the unforgiving servant. Look on the screen here. Oh, I guess we can read it quick. Time's almost gone. Therefore, this this scary this scary scary piece of scripture here. I'm going to read it fast, but I want you to hear it slow. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. That's us. As he began to settle accounts, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Let's say, for our purposes this morning, that's $50,000. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Oh, no, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. He begged, he begged, he begged, I beg, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Whoa, what a great king. But, ah, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Let's say five bucks. He's just been forgiven 50,000. Here's a guy that owes him five bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees, and he begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Well, that sounds familiar. He just got through saying similar words, didn't he? But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they told their master, I would too, everything that had happened. Now watch what happens. Then the master called the servant in. You, what's the next word? Wicked servant. I canceled all your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Well, the answer is of course you should have. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of us unless we forgive our brothers and our sisters from our heart. Not just say the words, sorry, sorry, from our hearts. You see, folks, the reason i got to be patient with you And the reason you have to be patient with me is because God has been patient with both of us. Amen? Let's pray. Now, this is one of those areas of life that we all have to deal with. Uh, There have been times we've all had a critical attitude. There's been times we've all been judgmental. If you want to find fault in somebody, I guarantee you, you can. Because there's no perfect people. Everybody's imperfect. 
It's all in what you decide to look at. If you're going to have friends in life, then you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to overlook their faults. Or you're not going to have any friends. You've got them, they've got them. They overlook yours, you overlook theirs. Help each other grow. Love the good parts in people. Overlook the bad. If you want to have a successful marriage, same principle. You have to learn to stop criticizing. You've got to learn to stop questioning your mate's motives. And there's going to have to be some things you're just going to have to overlook. Look at the good parts. Would you say in your heart this morning, Lord, help me to quit playing God. Help me this week to not be critical and judgmental. Help me to watch my mouth and not gossip and pass on damaging information, but to build up others and to share only those things that encourage and lift up. Lord, thank you for not being like me. Thank you for your grace in my life. Thank you that you don't give me what I deserve, but you give me what I need. Help me now to do that to others. In Jesus' name, Amen.